Hey everyone, I'm Phil Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, episode 244. Before we start, I'd like to give a shout-out. A handful of people recently liked The Week in Doubt Facebook page. I believe they're all members of a quote-unquote secret Facebook group I belong to, and that makes it sound somewhat mysterious or ominous, but it's just a group I was invited to by an old friend where people joke around, invent, etc., but it is listed as a secret group, so I don't want to betray their trust by naming them on the air. Uh, but thanks, guys. Much appreciated. And you know, not everyone I've ever invited has accepted my invitation to like the Weekend Out podcast Facebook page. But I get it. There's a part of me that actually feels bad or self-conscious inviting people to like the page. Because I know there's a lot of people out there who understandably don't want to deal with the headache of worrying about religious family members or maybe even employers uh, seeing atheistic content in their feed. And I think that's probably why only a very small portion of my page likes come from friends. If you don't feel strongly about a controversial subject, which atheism still is, unfortunately, you're probably going to be less willing or likely to subject yourself and those close to you who view your feed to posts or content relating to said controversial subject. If, for example, you yourself aren't an atheist, you probably don't want to have to deal with trying to explain away all those Nietzsche quotes and Dawkins videos to your saintly auntie. Uh, I get it. But hopefully someday we'll get to a place where people aren't stigmatized for daring to question or doubt the existence of a higher power. Hey, we can dream. But anyway, moving on. So this episode is going to be devoted to listener feedback. So I might as well start with another iTunes review I recently discovered. This one comes from friend and listener Tony DeBono. Tony and I have talked numerous times via the Weekend Out Facebook page. And although this review is new to me, Tony actually wrote it back in April. So my apologies for not discovering it sooner. Uh, but here's what he had to say. And he gave me five stars, by the way. Thanks, brother. And the review is titled, Phil is so chill. I really enjoy this thoughtful and entertaining podcast. Phil always has an interesting and authentic take on his topics. He is vulnerable, funny, and self-deprecating. I think I almost said self-defecating which I am not, an all-around charmer. He may be exasperated from time to time, but never angry or hateful. He also has an attention to detail and will go so far as to re-record or post an updated version if he finds errors. I respect that a lot. Keep up the good work. Well, thanks, brother. That means a lot. And I'm always blown away by just how insightful, intelligent, and well-worded the reviews always are. But I guess when you stop to think about it, it kind of makes sense, given the subject matter of the show. Uh, not to toot my own horn, um, and I hate the word toot, but you know, uh, philosophy, religion, skepticism, etc. These are subjects that are likely, in my humble opinion, to draw intelligent and thoughtful people. And Tony and I have actually talked about hanging out before. I guess business sometimes brings him to a nearby hospital. I uh, hope he doesn't mind me discussing this on the air. Unfortunately, however, our schedules kind of clash. But as I told him, I do sometimes find myself with unexpected downtime, given the nature of my day job, working construction with my family. So you never know, man. One of these days, perhaps, hopefully. 
But it's funny, Tony in that review mentions how if I come across an error or a mistake, I'll go out of my way to remedy the situation, even if it means editing and re-upping an episode. And it's true, as I've said repeatedly, one of my biggest fears doing this show is inadvertently putting bad information out there. This show is supposed to be about the opposite of that. It's supposed to be a show dedicated to spreading reason and searching for the truth, as grandiose as that might sound. But it reminded me of how just yesterday I screwed up. Someone in that secret group I mentioned had posted an article from a site called YourNewsWire.com. At the time, I was unaware of the site's dubious reputation. The person who posted the link, basically like everyone in that group, is a smart and funny person. And so I was like, well, if they're posting it, it's probably from a trustworthy source. And I read the name YourNewsWire.com, uh, that's a fairly sober and professional sounding name for an online news outlet, and the article was about how supposedly DNA from men who women sleep with can find its way inside their, the woman's, brain. And I think it had this kind of sensational or inflammatory title. Yeah, here it is. Women retain DNA from every man they have sex with. So right off the bat, I'm like, wait a minute. But I gave the article a chance and continued reading. And it was a fairly well-written article in a sense. And it cites a valid scientific study in which the brains of numerous women were examined post-mortem in the presence of male DNA was found that apparently wasn't in their genome or that they weren't born with. I believe these instances of small amounts of, shall we say, aberrant DNA, I'll say aberrant in the sense that you wouldn't expect to find it there, um, in their brain or in the brain, is referred to as microchimerism. Um, I hope I'm not butchering that. And here's where my uh, geeky knowledge of mythology will probably come in handy. Uh, I think it's a word partially borrowed from mythology. In mythology, a chimera is this kind of composite monster or creature made up of different animals, often depicted as being part lion, part goat, part serpent, something to that effect. And I've heard the term chimera used in medical terms before um, for a single organism that is made up of cells from two different zygotes. So this article was taking legitimate research and extrapolating from it that this real phenomenon of male DNA in female brains is the result of sexual intercourse. Well, shortly after publishing the article on the Weekend Out Facebook page, I mean almost immediately, something was saying, wait, wait, let's research this. Something seems off. And it didn't take long to debunk the story. Snopes gave the claim a big red X false rating. And it cited the claim as stemming from that very Yarn Newswire article. Both Snopes and a 2012 Newsweek article offered a far less sensational explanation for instances of microchimerism, saying that in at least some cases, they could be caused by a failed pregnancy where DNA from a male fetus, as bizarre as it sounds, finds its way through the semi-permeable blood-brain barrier. So first I posted the Snopes and Newsweek articles and edited the Your Newswire post. And then shortly after I said, screw it, and uh, pardon my French, and deleted the Your Newswire post entirely and offered an explanation why I had deleted it. And I've been kicking myself after the fact, asking myself why I didn't fact check the article before posting it. 
But oh well, uh, I guess lesson learned and better late than never. And in fairness to myself, quote unquote, late was literally only minutes after I posted it. Uh, but anyway, once again, onward. Here's a couple of comments from a YouTuber regarding last week's episode, which was entitled The Huffington Post, Political Correctness and Islam. And I believe this uh, person's YouTube handle was at least at the time, no thanks. I was just on recently while researching this episode, and it looked like they may have had a different handle. But anyway, uh, here's what they had to say. Also, I may have liked Reza Aslan at the very beginning. And um, he's mentioning Reza because I mentioned Reza in the last episode. However, I very quickly realized he was a BS apologist, totally intellectually disingenuous and sleazy. I realized he was a con artist before I saw the Pac-Man expose, which was excellent work and so important. Honestly, Aslan is a well-marketed pseudo-intellectual con man. He's young, quite good-looking, IMO as a straight man, <laughs> clever, entertaining, very modern, moderate, or even cultural Muslim, Everything everybody eats up when you don't think critically about what he's actually saying. It says a lot about our media. He should have been fired years ago, but not for the Trump tweet, which is ironically one of the most truthful, sensible things he said. It's such a commentary that people spew nonsense for years, but get fired for a candid, truthful, to the extent his opinion about Trump may be subjective, but is rooted in reality and widely held, but impolite statement. Yeah, so I like that comment. I found it to be rather insightful. And here's another one from the same person. I appreciate this piece and your podcast in general. Bill Maher is often slammed and called a racist or bigot for discussing these issues truthfully, much like Dawkins and Hitchens. You discuss this while talking about the need for sensitivity and balance in these discussions without sacrificing truthfulness with the emphasis on truth. I do think people can speak truthfully in irresponsible or responsible ways. It is important to consider consequences, but people can make editorial and tonal choices to speak truth in the most productive ways. But most people just avoid or deny the truth to be PC or other reasons. That's frankly common sense, but so many people struggle with this. Mostly I think it's people tied to establishments, namely politics and mainstream media. They face a lot of pressure to edit and censor, even if they understand these issues and want to be honest, but some are braver than others. All right, I appreciate those comments. Thanks, man. And uh, here's my friend, the Electric Owl, and he's replying to the video I did, I think the episode before last on Nietzsche, or Nietzsche, tomato, tomato, as I always say, and eternal recurrence. So here's what he has to say. Regardless of what Nietzsche himself actually thought of the eternal return, I think we may be giving the concept short shrift by merely asking whether it is or is not scientifically valid. I've always looked at eternal recurrence as not just a philosophical or scientific statement on Nietzsche's part, but a powerful psychological device that helps one not squander the invitation to truly participate in the world by truly being oneself. I think somewhere Nietzsche, reminiscent of Kant, 
even says that a person should undertake an action only if he would take the same action throughout infinite iterations of the same scenario being presented. In this light, the eternal return is a philosophical device that helps one not only accept our lives for what they are, pains, joys, agonies, pleasures, and limitations all being part of the package, but also to delineate between authentic and inauthentic actions. So there's another comment that just completely blows me away, and I replied to the Electric Owl, brilliantly put, I think you're right on the money. I was recently reading about Nietzsche's Amor Fati, did I pronounce that right? Probably not, or Love of Fate, and how it's tied to his concept of eternal recurrence. And then the Electric Owl replies, Amor Fati is definitely one of Nietzsche's most compelling ideas. And then Dirk Stabbins adds, I get an eternal recurring boner every time I think about Nikki Sims. And I think Nikki Sims is some kind of softcore cam girl. <laughs> but, but here's um, another comment that showcases the more thoughtful and serious side of the one and only Dirk Stabbins. And uh, it started off when I, oh yeah, well, here's another kind of comical one first. He says, I think Nietzsche's four great contributions to the world are one, mustache, two, moral philosophy and the death of God, three, mustache, four, I know it's just a translation and not even a good one these days, but it's still really fun to say, the gay science. The rest seems like a bunch of syphilitic dementia and a bygone worldview. I could have sworn you said something about Nietzsche giving free mustache rides, too. But uh, but here's that serious comment I was talking about. Oh, And I had uh, said something about how I had wondered why Zarathustra, why adopt this strange Zoroastrian prophet for a philosophical allegory? And I did. I did always wonder, you know, Nietzsche was thought of as this atheistic philosopher kind of overturning religious morality, why would he use the name of some ancient prophet in his book, uh, Thus Spake, or, or Thus Spoke Zarathustra? And actually, uh, Dirk, under another alias, sent me an introduction from a copy of Thus Spoke Zarathustra that he had been reading, and it actually explains uh, fairly clearly uh, how and plainly how Nietzsche chose the name because, in a sense, he viewed Zoroaster or Zarathustra as being the one to kind of introduce religious morality, in a sense. You know, it's thought that Zoroastrianism had a uh, big influence on Judaism, uh, Second Temple Judaism, uh, I think, and um, Christianity to some extent. Uh, that's what some uh, scholars think anyway. And so, in a sense, it's almost like Nietzsche or Nietzsche was holding Zarathustra accountable for the whole legacy here of Judeo-Christian morality. And so who better to announce the end of that morality than the one who was responsible for it? But finally, uh, here's what Derek had to say. Zoroaster is credited with introducing cosmic dualism, good versus bad, right versus wrong, black versus white, the righteous god Ahura Mazda versus the evil god Angramanyu. The notion of an entirely righteous god, while not truly monotheistic within the Persian religion, 
is paradigmatically different than earlier polytheistic, henotheistic, or monolatristic paradigms of God, whichever it was the Israelites held to, and is probably what led the post-exilic Jews to monotheism. Zoroastrianism is also believed to be where the concept of an eternal reward for the good and punishment for the wicked first entered, Jewish apocalypticism, then later Christianity. So Nietzsche believed that it was Zarathustra who first introduced the concepts which later became the paradigm for Jewish and Christian theology, and that laid the framework of Christian morality. Who better than the same prophet to declare the God that emerged from within the paradigm had died, and to declare a new, improved paradigm for human morality and reveal Nietzsche's concept of the Ubermensch. This, I think, is the overarching theme of Thus Spoke Zarathustra and the point of the death of God theology. Not that God had died, Nietzsche didn't believe there had ever been a God. Science, archaeology, and critical biblical scholarship had all laid axes at the root of that tree but that the paradigm for morality needed to change. In the book, Zarathustra says, I teach you the Superman. Man is something to be surpassed. What have ye done to surpass man? Nietzsche believed a new moral paradigm would allow humanity to surpass what it was and become the Ubermensch, or die of syphilis trying. <laughs> and of course, uh, if you're not familiar with the personal story of Nietzsche, I think he died in his mid-50s. He was relatively young. And he suffered this kind of complete mental collapse about a decade earlier when he was like 44. I don't think he was necessarily what you would call a ladies' man. I think he probably had limited sexual experiences uh, with women. But I think, as luck would have it, um, it, it may have been, if I remember correctly, I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, he may have caught syphilis from a kind of rendezvous he had with a prostitute, and it went untreated, and eventually, uh, he essentially ended up going catatonic and spent the last days of his life uh, basically suffering from a kind of catatonic dementia in a, uh, a asylum. And uh, I think there's actually kind of very freaky footage you can find of Nietzsche online on YouTube of just kind of staring straight ahead and rocking back and forth in a rocking chair. Search uh, YouTube for the last days of Nietzsche or something like that. And I was surprised when I first learned of that because um, we're, we're talking about the 19th century. So, uh, of course, they had uh, photography and film in the 19th century. Actually, I think uh, Nietzsche died right in the year 1900. But for some reason, I, I still picture... Nietzsche as this old European philosopher, and just it kind of blows my mind the idea that we actually have footage of him. Uh, but it's there. Check it out on YouTube. Maybe I'll actually include it in the YouTube version of this episode. Yeah, and so I don't know if this is apocryphal, too. I'll offer that caveat. But supposedly, one day, Nietzsche saw a workman of some kind violently beating a horse. And supposedly that was it. That was the last straw that sent Nietzsche over the edge and he passed out or collapsed. And uh, basically, yeah, and I think he was in Italy at the time when that happened. Uh, that was the beginning of the mental collapse, uh, the loss of his cognitive faculties. Kind of a case of truth being stranger than fiction. Just a, a very weird and tragic end 
of uh, a brilliant mind. Even if you don't necessarily agree with his philosophy, he was still a, a highly intelligent and thoughtful human being. And then last but not least, I have a comment from friend and listener Leanne Backstrom, who I talk to all the time on the uh, Weekend Down Facebook page. And uh, it was in response to a Thunderfoot video I posted a link to last night. And it was basically Thunderfoot debunking Breatharianism. Uh, I, I, was, I was so afraid I was going to trip over my tongue while trying to say that. But it's this flaky, new agey, idea that some people are popularizing that suggests that it's possible for people to live without food and sometimes without water, claiming that all you need is air. And I think sometimes they say sunlight. Uh, I remember seeing this interview with, or maybe uh, a little documentary, maybe is by Vice about, uh, let's see, I think, is she Russian or Ukrainian? I forget. But this uh, woman they call the human Barbie, you may have seen her, um, basically done everything in her power to make herself look like this kind of uncanny human Barbie doll. And she's a, a breatharian. I don't know if she still is, but she was at the time. It said something about how she gained nourishment from air and sunlight or something like that. And they all, some of them also say from uh, all you need for sustenance is prana, you know, this kind of Indian or Hindu idea of um, life essence or, or, or energy or something like that. And Thunderfoot does a, a very good job at debunking this ludicrous concept. But obviously, I mean, this would be just so laughable if it wasn't so dangerous, because there are people out there who are stupid enough to try this. And at least one person, a woman in Scotland, uh, died. And I think Thunderfoot talks about that in passing in his video um, because she basically tried to go as long as possible without sustenance. And Leanne says, I remember the controversy around that woman, especially after her disciple died in Scotland. I just don't know how they can lie like that. And I replied, it really is sickening. What they're promoting, living without food, is not only physically impossible, but as you point out, also potentially deadly. I wonder if in some weird way they actually believe their own BS. Um, but just disturbing stuff. And I thought of doing my own video or podcast episode trying to debunk or shine the light of reason on this stuff, uh, breatharianism. Uh, but I probably wouldn't do as good a job as Thunderfoot. Who knows, maybe someday just for my own enjoyment, um, shall we say, uh, I might still do an episode on it. But that being said, all right, thanks to everyone for uh, engaging with me and for leaving comments. I greatly appreciate it. And if it wasn't for you guys getting in touch with me and letting me know that someone is actually listening and giving me your feedback, I probably would have stopped doing this a long time ago. So sincerely, thanks. And you guys know the drill, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Um, if you want to help the show out monetarily, you can go to Podbean and look for The Week in Doubt and use the PayPal widget, or you can go to patreon.com slash The Week in Doubt and help the show out for as little as 99 cents a month and quit anytime you want. All right, brothers and sisters, until next time.